Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. Hello, Discovery family. We're so excited to be here with us. My name is Antonio Reyes, and I'm part of the pastoral team here at this community. And I'm so excited that you're visiting us today here online. And um, we're, we're excited to start this new journey, this new series called Advent. You know, as we um, start this and prepare our hearts for um, the coming of Jesus, you know, that's literally what it means. Advent means coming in Latin. And I know that this is a this is going to be a great conversation that we're going to be having in the next couple of weeks. And I have the privilege to start this conversation today. And you know what? I'll be honest. I, I never really practiced Advent. Actually, I didn't even know what Advent meant until last year. One of my favorite um, artists or authors wrote a book called the, called the Honest Advent. And I read it and it impacted me so much that I just I just felt so captivated by the idea of Advent. And, and, and one of the things that you and I need to understand is that for centuries, the church, the community, the believe that Jesus is a path uh, to life. Uh, we have understood that this this relationship is a journey, that this experience is, is a journey, that those who follow the path of Jesus, we understand that life has seasons. And it's through seasons that we can celebrate the unfolding mystery of Jesus. That for, that for that same reason, the church had developed this calendar. And one of the seasons is called Advent. Coming, the coming of God with us. The coming of Jesus Christ. See, before we jump into the conversation, I want to take you to this beautiful poem by one of the apostles, um, the Gospel of John. You know, the good news through the eyes of John. And John chapter 1, verse 1, it says this way, In the beginning, the Word already existed. He's talking about Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His light brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot never extinguish it. Can we pray before we jump into this conversation? God, we are thankful for you. Help us. Help us in this season of waiting, in this season where we expect something. God, help us learn how to wait. What is the correct way of doing it? What is the posture of our hearts? How should we prepare ourselves for this season, God? Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to do this. And even when our emotions try to take the best out of us, help us develop self-control and hear what you are saying in this season of Advent. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Can I ask you a question? Like, what type of person? Are you really good on waiting? Like, do you, do you consider yourself a person that knows how to wait? Or, or let me ask you a better question. How do you wait? 
You know, for the people that know me know that I'm horrible at waiting. I don't know how to wait. I get irritated easily. I get, you know, anxious right away. You know, I get upset right away. I'm the type of person that goes to a restaurant and sits down and two minutes later, I'm looking for the waiter. I'm like, where's he at? He's not, or where's she at? You know, I'm ready to order, you know, like I'm that type of person. I'm annoying, you know? And you know, one of the things that I believe God has given my wife is the ability to challenge my patience when it comes down to waiting. I said it. She has the ability to challenge my ability to wait and my patience. You know, she has this ability to do it. Sometimes we come from trips. We have driven like six hours, you know, for I'm tired. I'm exhausted. My destination is my bed. I'm waiting to get to my bed, you know. And all of a sudden, are we coming from a party or from a place and it's already 12 at night or 11 at night? And she thinks that it's a great idea to clean the car at that time. She thinks in her brain that the best thing to do at that time is to clean that car, to take all the trash. I'm like, babe, I want to get to my destination. I want to get to my bed. My bed is waiting for me. And I know this is not a, uh, this is not a sign of a good husband, but I, I end up leaving. I'm like, uh-uh, I'm out. I can't do this with you. I get irritated. I get frustrated. Like, I just want to get to my bed. And I'm more concerned about my destination than actually waiting. You know, I don't want to wait. I don't, nobody wants to wait. And this is something that I see in our generation. We don't know how to wait. We have developed apps. We have developed devices to help us not to wait. Even corporations have developed systems to give us what we want, when we want it, without waiting. And, we, and, and waiting is not in our lifestyle. This is not something that comes natural out of us. And, and, and this is exactly what I'm trying to point out. See, this season is important because it's teaching us. It's teaching us how to prepare our hearts, how to prepare our souls, how to prepare our minds into this arrival. That the one point human history experienced the coming of Jesus, that God was with us. It's in this season where we learn how to wait. We should feel we're supposed to feel the weight. We're, so, we're supposed to feel the anticipation and the arrival of something. We feel deeply we should feel this waiting moment. Because we're anticipating something beautiful. Something that can change our lives. But the question is, how do we wait? How should we posture our hearts in this waiting season? Because, because friends, listen. How you wait matters. How you wait matters. And I would like to suggest that we should posture our hearts in love. In love, family, love is expressed in different ways. But it has to be translated into action according to the faith, our faith in Jesus. Let me repeat that once again. See, love can be expressed in different ways, but it should be translated into action according to our relationship with Jesus. That as we wait, as we anticipate, our posture in life should be love for others. 
Because we understand that the highest form of love is not just simply loving God, but it's loving other people. Because the narrative of God, the narrative of Jesus, the narrative of the Bible lets us know that this message is like a treasure that we find and we feel the necessity to share it with other people. See, for that same reason, I took you to that poem of John. We don't know if it was really John the Apostle or another, another John, but everything points out that it was John the Apostle. See, this John had access to the mother of Jesus. This John had probably access to information that nobody really knows. How was Jesus when he was a teenager? That he behaved well all the time? That he had hit anyone when he was a kid? You know, like he had probably access to information that none of us had. See, in this John, is trying to make sense. How do I tell people that something that was not part of this world came into this world and not just came, he walked amongst us. He handed me a fish. He swung with us. He looked at my face into my eyes and told me, do not be afraid. How do I tell people that he came amongst us? And this is how he says it. In the beginning, the world already exists. I love how... Can I read you another translation? The Passion Translation says this. In the beginning, the living expression, this is Jesus, was already there. And the living expression was with God, yet fully God. They were together face to face in the very beginning. And through His creative inspiration, this living expression made all things. For nothing has existed apart from Him. A fountain of life was in him, for his life is light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through the darkness. Light the darkness could not overcome. He's talking about Jesus. See, John is alluding to one of the most complex ideas where theologians have centuries talk about it, have trying to figure it out. How do we explain the incarnation of Jesus? That at one point in human history, the God, the creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, the one who decorated the endless universe with galaxies became one of us. How do I explain that? This is the incarnation of Jesus. This is what John is trying to communicate to you and to me. See, he's speaking to a bunch of Greek people. A bunch of Greek people that knew about mythologies. You know, about the gods. You know, how the gods were perfect and they would never relate with humanity. Because humanity was broken. Humanity was messed up. And John is telling these people, hey, listen. Let me tell you about the mystery of this Jesus. The Jesus came to us. That He not just came to us, He came to serve us, to love us, to save us, to sacrifice Himself for us. And you might ask, why is this so important about Advent? Because, because family, and we miss the, the purpose of the incarnation, we will miss what love is requiring from us right now. Can I repeat that again? If we miss the purpose of the incarnation of Jesus, we will miss what love is requiring of, requiring from us at this point in time. What is love requiring from you right now? Because if we understand the heart behind the incarnation of Jesus, the heart of the Father, the passion, the, the heartbeat behind it, that not even brokenness or darkness stop him from making himself known through Jesus. 
What John is, I believe, is saying, love does not send someone else to do the job. Love will do it himself. Can I say that again? What I believe John is trying to communicate to us, he's saying, look, love will never send someone else to do the job. Love will do it himself. And this is a very important thing, family, because if you identify with Jesus, there's a responsibility in our shoulders. There's a responsibility in us. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5. And it says this in the, in the Sermon of the Mountain. You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make salty again? It will be thrown out and tremble under, under food as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No lights no lights a lamp and then puts it under the basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it's giving light to everybody in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will, everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I have another question for you, family. Where is love leading you? See, one of the things that you need to know about me is that I hate going to this to Six Flags, to this park. I hate rides. I will never put my life in one of those crazy demonic rides. Like I'm not putting my life into those things. It's horrible. I just dislike it. And you perhaps you don't want to be my friend no more. And I'm completely fine with that. You know what? When I started dating, I, when I began dating Gavi, um, one of those moments, craziness, you know, my Stupid, crazy, blind love for my wife at this point, you know, um, led me to do something crazy. We were in this one of this small town fairs, you know, and there was this ride called the zipper. And the zipper would go something like this. And it was you were in a cage and the cage when they would close the, clay, the, the cage, it would close in your chest. It was just claustrophobic to be just in that cage. And the cage would go up and down. It was just roll horrible. Horrible experience. I remember going in that thing. Gavi was next to me. I almost lost the friends. It was crazy. I think she was scared for me. Like, I was yelling. I don't even know how I went through. I just remember glances. I thought I was going to pass out. I just remember. I was like, this is horrible. Why am I doing this? You know? And the problem is, like, love led me to do this. See, to do something out of my comfort zone, to do something out of my element. I was willing to be uncomfortable for the sake of her knowing and for the sake of her, of her friends knowing and her family knowing that I was serious and that I love her. If we go back to the analogy in the, in the parable of Jesus. He's saying, hey, you are the salt of this world. See, salt family 2,000 years ago was used as, as something to stop decay, the decay of meat. That um, you will, before the fridges, before the freezers, you know, they will put salt on the meat so they can stop the, 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 the corruption of the meat, you know. Like when you leave the meat out without anything, you don't put it in the fridge, it goes bad right away, you know, it smells horrible because it has nothing. But with salt, it will preserve the meat, it will stop it from decaying. See, and also salt was used as something to add flavor into something. 
And Jesus is saying, look, you are that thing that is going to preserve the world. You are that thing that is going to add flavor into the world. And not just that, you are the light in the darkness. You are, you're going to illuminate around you. You're going to erupt. You're going to disrupt darkness. You're going to illuminate in your circle of influence. That's what you are. And I love how Eugene Peterson in the message translation puts it. Here's another way to put it. He says, you are here to be the light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If, you, if I make you lie barriers, you don't think I'm, gonna, I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on the light stand. Now that I put you, uh, I put you there on the hilltop, on the light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your life. Be opening by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. See, this Advent family, as we experience the wait, as we experience this expectation, we wait with the posture of love. We allow, we allow love to lead us to be the light of this world, to be, to be the salt in our circle of influences. We're going to posture our heart in this way, in this Advent with love. Can I challenge you this before I, I, I stop and I finish this sermon? I, I want to challenge you. I think for many years we have believed a certain narrative here in the United States with, in the church. The Western church has a complicated relationship with this. And as we always connect wealth and prosperity, we connect to that God is with us in a sense. And, and, and let me take you back. There's this prophet by the name of Amos. Amos, um, who's, you know, prophet, people that will communicate the heart of God to the, to the humanity, you know. So Amos has an issue. Because if you actually know the narrative of the Old Testament, there's this ongoing issue with the people of God, the Israelites. That every time they got brings them out of slavery. Every time that God brings them out of oppression, they be, and they begin to prosper as a nation, they tend to forget. They tend to forget to the point that they start oppressing other people, and they become the oppressors of people. And, and every time that they go through this cycle, God has to always send someone to remind them, why are you doing this? You just came out of these issues. You know, your family came out of these issues and you're becoming the same thing. And we, and because we have, they would develop this idea and they would develop this theology per se, you know, this ideology that because they will prosper, God will give them prosperity for the sake of giving them comfort or for the sake of, of convenience or luxury or pleasure. And that was not the case. See, there's this moment in chapter 5, and for some of you guys that already know the Bible, this is a very famous verse, but there's this moment where God lets them know what's going on. He tells them in chapter 5, verse 21 to 24, I hate all your shows of pretense, the hypocrisy of religious festivals and solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burning offerings and grain offerings. I won't even notice all your choice peace offerings. I wave with your, your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen 
to the music of your harps. Instead, what I desire, what I want to see a mighty flow of justice, an endless river of righteous living. It's crazy. God is like, I don't, I don't care about all the things that you do for me. I don't care about your rituals, your festivities, and, and you playing crazy music. I don't care about that. I want to see justice. I want you to see you, you care for other people. See, the issue was going on with Amos. Amos has an issue with the king. See, this king that was in that time, he, he was a great military, military leader and a successful leader to the point that he was winning battles left and right, to the point that he was expanding the land. He was expanding that land and he was creating and bringing more wealth to, to that country. See, but that was an issue. See, the problem was that the wealthy people was abusing of the poor people that were selling them left and right so that he was, they were creating slaves left and right. Also, the problem was that every time that they would come to the court, they would not allow them to have any representation. So they were taking advantage of them the whole time. But... They were bringing these beautiful offerings. They were they were contributing. They were they were being very generous, having this crazy, you know, um, um, celebrations in the temple of God. They were having this crazy events, and they were having music, and they were bringing offerings left and right. And God is like, no, 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 no! How dare you? Amos confronts them, and he tells them, how how dare you do do this? You come from a legacy where you, we were slaves, that we were oppressed at one point. How dare you do in this? See, and, and God in chapter 5 lets them know, I don't care about your songs. I don't care about your service to, to, to the temple. I don't care about your great sacrifices. What I want is that you pay attention to your fellow human beings, that you care for them, that you actually do something about it, that you bring justice to them. See, family, my desire being here in Discovery is that we can change the, the image of the church. That here in Davis, as Pastor Steve said it last week, that we can, be, we can become a movement. A movement of a community that adds value to his circle of influence. That we don't, we don't we're not happy necessarily. Well, not, I don't want to say happy, but... The most important thing is not for us to come into a venue to celebrate and have songs, but the most important thing is to love others and serve others. Because we have a God that became like one of us to serve us, to sacrifice himself for us. That we don't neglect, we don't avoid, we don't ignore the necessities around us, but we actually allow love to lead us in this Advent. In 2017, family, my wife and I actually church plan in the city of Los Angeles in this small city called Southgate. As we were actually looking for a venue where to meet, where to have our services, it became very complicated. No city, the city didn't allow us to 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 rent a place. Um, the business owners didn't want no church in the city. There were too many too many churches in that city for them. Later on, I find out from one of the locals that there was an issue. There was not a good relationship between the church and the city. That the city saw the church as some a community that they always took away and never actually served and contributed to the city. And I felt that that narrative was wrong all the time. You know, we came in, and I don't want to say that I was the savior of the city, but I came saying, we're not going to allow this to define us, and we're going to create a different narrative. 
So 2017 with a bunch of 20 year olds and 30 year olds with very low resources, I tell you this family, so little that sometimes we didn't even have enough to pay for our venue to meet on Sundays. We, we brought very little <laughs> uh, money to actually pay for our, the basic necessities of the church, you know? And we have certain new people that didn't know about tithing and all those things. We just love Jesus, that's all. And I remember I told, I'm going to mobilize this bunch of 20, 30-year-olds, and we're going to do something. We're going to love on our city. We, we developed, actually, previous to Easter, the Saturday before um, Easter, we had something called I Love My City. And we gather no more than, I tell you, no more than $1,000. I want to say no more than $1,000. What can we do with $1,000 to serve the city? I don't know. So what we did is that we create different groups in our, in, our, in our community and we send them. And some of them went to the gas stations and start paying for people's gas. Some other ones went to the coffee shops and they start paying for people's coffee. Some other people went to the laundry rooms and they paid for people's loads. And then some other people went to the... Um, to Home Depot and they were they took uh, sandwiches and, 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 and some food and they give them they give it to them. We went to the like the park in the city and, and we went with all the kids and we bought a bunch of a candy for the kids from someone that was selling the, selling them there in the in the city and we felt like this is something that we need to do. And the people will react very we were like, what do you want? Who are you? Why are you doing this? It's like kindness is rare now. What I'm saying, family, is that I want to be part of a community, of a church that is willing to serve. Not because we're trying to create points with God, but because this flows out of our identity that we are children of God. That our biggest celebration, the biggest thing that we have, is not that we come to a venue and we sing songs, but the biggest thing that we have is that we love others because the highest way to love God is to love others. If a bunch of young adults with poor resources can do that, I'm sure we can change the narrative by loving others. Family, we're going to come into this moment of, of reflecting on, on, the, on the sacrifice of Jesus. We come into this moment where we're going to uh, reflect on the sacrifice, communion. So where, whatever you find yourself at with the little juice and maybe a cookie or something that you have, bread, Let's reflect in this moment and let's worship together. Family, as we conclude this, I want to leave you with this. One of my favorite quotes by one of my favorite artists, Scott Erickson. He says, May I share the light that I've been given. Knowing full well, it's not up to me to control where this light goes. Peace and joy, my friends, in this season.